Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Idocratic was an occult sex reformer who wrote about how married couples could spiritualize their unions, giving them control over pregnancy and the right to choose when they had their children. She claimed that she herself had married a spirit or angel from the non-physical realm, and that such unions were common in the history of mysticism and religion. By combining a political ambition for sex reform with occult and spiritual revelations, Craddock followed in the footsteps of Victoria Woodhall, a psychic medium who was also America's first female candidate for president, Woodhull's career was brought to a screeching halt by Anthony Comstock, who prosecuted her for sending obscene materials in the mail, a violation of free speech that Comstock got away with for decades. In fact, Anthony Comstock would also persecute Ida Craddock in an identical way two decades later, although he would fail at purging her influence and ideas from the occult record. Today... We invite sex reformer and wife to a heavenly husband, Ida Craddock, to offer us her unique brand of occult confession. I am joined this day by Jake Wheatley. Jake, welcome back, my friend. Hello. Night of the Dangling Serpent, it has been a little while since you've done like a proper episode. We had the interview with you, but... Uh, yeah, you... I just trauma dumped for a little bit. It was... <laughs> and <laughs> was we like, loved it. Thank you. It's a good way to like return to be like, hey, surprise. <laughs> I was in conversion therapy. <laughs> we got a lot of good responses from that. Yeah, I think that was, yeah. it was brave of you, I, I, I want to say. Thank you. Very yeah, brave of you to put that out there. Uh, and uh, you're also hearing the voice, of course, of Nikki Double H, Nikki Hiller Henderson, our Naked Truth, back in, in her own home recording. Yes. Hello. I am comfortably almost naked. We have someone coming uh, to pick something up in a bit, so. Um. <laughs> oh. oh, now, Nikki. No, 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 no. I have to ask. What is appropriate attire? What is appropriate almost naked attire for someone coming to pick something up from you? Um, I have pajama shorts on. And my nipples are covered with a small tank top. So I think it counts. I thought for a second you were going to leave that. I would just be like, and that's all you need to that's know. That's it. <laughs> pasties. Pasties and oh just pasties. All right. I put on no. my pasties when packages are coming. That's... No, I <laughs> no, I just get really like, I don't know, warm. When you're podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I... It cracks me up. <laughs> Oh my god, I love you. You're so funny. <laughs> Listen, it's not even that sexy. I get the anxiety sweats, so it's just... <laughs> Oh. We'll try and calm you down, but we don't want you to freeze, so we'll keep you at a nice enough level of anxiety where you'll be warm enough to get through the episode. Perfect. So my name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. I am your supreme hierophant of this wacky order of alchemical actors uh let's go ahead and pledge it out and then we'll get into the order of confessors we the members of the secret order of alchemical actors to solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it 
Yeah, Jakey got spoiled doing that with us in person all those years. <laughs> I know. It's funny. Welcome I'm like, to my side. I'm like, it, it hurts a little bit to try to like time it with someone. Because <laughs> you just got to jump on and ride because I'm going to have to edit it all together in the end. Anyway, uh, why don't you open up the Order of Confessors by making any sound you like? Nikki, you'll close them up later. Wham. 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 <laughs> <laughs> nice. You you said any sound. I did. You asked for that. I did. And I'll take it. Yeah. I love it. I accept it gladly. Beautiful. We're gonna welcome Emma E to our to our patrons and also Patrick W and Aeolican. 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 Or Aeolican. And you can too. <laughs> <laughs> Tire one, T Y er one recommends uh, us to anyone who wants engaging academic discussions on occultism and alchemical ABIF says this podcast made ABIF explore topics ABIF previously dismissed. Special shout out to James and Savannah. Sorry, Nikki and Jake. It's okay. Ouch. They're pretty great. <laughs> they are pretty well, great. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. we are off to a start today let's close it up nikki bounce bounce fun fun all that right groovy now you can feel less anxious because you got the improv out of the way for today oh yeah <laughs> okay let's get into ida and I do want to thank uh, Jason over on Facebook for recommending Ida to me. I, I had not uh, heard of Ida Craddock before we got this uh, occultist by request, uh, and uh, I'm ashamed to say it. She's a very cool 19th century occultist I, I should have been aware of. So uh, I, I really appreciate it, listeners, when you send out these ideas, these suggestions for episodes. I know this is like the season of occultist by request, but that doesn't mean when this season ends, you shouldn't keep sending us... Oh, why am I even saying this? You guys can't stop sending us recommendations. But I do love them. I they wear me out a little bit. I'll be honest, but I do love them. <laughs> Only because I it's like it's like the beginning of the semester when you see the syllabus. It's like ah oh, man, I gotta figure out what the I heck gotta, this is. I gotta read. <laughs> I gotta oh, no. read. Yeah. <laughs> this topic looks like at least five books, and I'm gonna hate two of them. So, but that's not the case with Idocratic. I actually loved every moment of uh, researching her. So, not to build her up too much, but uh, I think this is gonna be a fun episode. It's pretty built up. I'm pretty excited. All right, then. <laughs> Ida Craddock was born on the 1st of August, 1857, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Her father died when she was only two, and she was mostly raised by her mother, Lizzie Decker. She took a stenography course that funded her travels around the United States and Europe. We jumped ahead a bit there. She lived in the United Kingdom, Alaska, California, and Colorado. Uh, so actually not too far from every place that we represent today. So she was born in Philly, not far from where I'm at in Annapolis. She was in California, a bit south of Jake, and uh, Alaska, a bit north of uh, Nikki. Nice. All right. Wow. Uh, so, Colorado, anyway, none of us. But... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got to get someone in there. Got to get, get, get in Colorado, guys. Yeah, got to get a, find a Colorado podcaster. So anyway, she, she was, these, these were the states and, and then the UK as well, many cities. Uh, and uh, she went to all these places to type. She was a typer, a typist. She also taught stenography and published a textbook on Pittman shorthand, which is everyone's favorite shorthand. 
course. Of course. She was... Do you know anything about shorthand, Nikki? It's hard to read. <laughs> okay. Right. Do you know, like, the different varieties of shorthand? Do either of no, you know? I, no. I know nothing about it. Absolutely not. No. What are the court courthouse people? They do shorthand, right? The, the, the ladies on the little thing yeah i know my grandmother she tried like teaching me one out or like one time how to do it and i just i was like my mom this isn't happening i can't read it as it is <laughs> this sucks so it didn't work out one day jakey you too could be taking notes for some executive in a big office in the sky <laughs> uh, <laughs> a man if can only dream. i could master shorthand yes. oh no my one downfall is shorthand <laughs> I guess I'll never take somebody else's notes. She was a spiritual seeker and found her way to the Church of Yoga through her connections in theosophy. I did dig around and try to find some stuff on the Church of Yoga, but the terms are too perplexing. They pull up all these more modern things. But it's it seems like the Church of Yoga was associated somehow with the Theosophical Society. Craddock also had ties to spiritualism and beginning in her 30s started to commune with the spirits of the dead although she did not go by the title of medium you've both got your 30s ahead of you right so yeah you know it's coming up yeah not too not too far off so there's something yep. to think about you know her primary contact in the spirit world was a man she had known in her teens but had since died of consumption she called him soph and eventually she underwent a spiritual marriage with soph Taking to I love that. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> taking to calling herself Mrs. Craddock after this event it was a theme in Darkpool, right, Nikki? With you? Yes. Yeah. No, I love that. I was also gonna say, like, so who died on her? Because when you said that she started becoming interested in, like, not that she called it mediumship, but that kind of thing, I feel like not always, but usually a trigger for that is like having lost somebody. Yeah, a friend from her teenage years. I mean, I guess a friend she had some feelings for, right? Yeah, apparently. Marriage material. In 19th century, I mean, you're going to know a lot of people who died. So, I mean... That's true. And that's why it was so popular. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, what do you mean? Mediumship? Or marrying yeah. the spirits of the dead? Marrying the spirits of the dead was not common. I don't want to get anybody that the wrong impression. That was a post-war thing where if you weren't married, like you were engaged and your husband died on the battlefield before you guys got a chance to get married, you could technically marry his ghost and get his really? war benefits. Spiritualism huh. created theoretically the opportunity. Yeah, there was a case in the city of Bordentown, which is where uh, I spent a lot of my childhood, actually, where a woman married a ghost. Wow. That might be what I know of. I believe Ida was the only person to write a full book about it, though. Good for her. Anyhow. Uh, so she started calling herself Mrs. Craddock after this event. So she took on the MRS. After she got married, that is, to the spirit. Her mother considered this otherworldly union to be a sign of mental illness and tried to have her daughter committed. <laughs> That's not really funny, but I mean, can you... Yeah, yeah. I get it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've been there. My mother thought me being attracted to someone was a mental illness too, so... Yeah, it's... But I get they it, were alive. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, and, and like... Small detail. <laughs> It's it's also true, Jake, that like society, like culture and civilization has come to embrace what that your attractions are okay, but oh, we still yeah, haven't yeah. quite embraced ghost marriage. 
That's yeah, so they will not let me marry my ex, okay? I've tried. The fact that he's not here, apparently, you can't marry a ghost. Looked it up. Throws That's how I found about that lady. Monkey wrench in oh. the system. Uh, so, <laughs> what happened? Oh, we were trying to commit Ida. Uh, so she fled for to London to escape being committed by her mother. But Lizzie didn't give up. And four years later, back in the United States, Craddock found herself spending three months in the Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane. Three months. I mean, I actually read that as a 19th century scholar, and I say, that's not so bad. It could have been worse. Because mm-hmm. there are people who are committed for years. Their life. Yeah, people who are committed for life. Well, I mean, I think I probably said this before, but the asylum system in the 19th century, it was sort of like a dumping ground, it, like nursing homes. We didn't really have nursing yeah. homes in the 19th century. So any relative who was incapable of caring for themselves or who was let's say inconvenient to the family would be dropped at the asylum so they like didn't necessarily stand a chance of making it out of there in those cases no i mean ida yeah it was it was only three months because she did have her stuff together like she wasn't a vegetable or anything i I don't don't know if that's Mm -hmm. offensive to anyone wasn't a in i want you know what i mean yeah so because she you know could walk and talk and chew gum she got to get out of there and yeah but elderly people would just kind of be forgotten about yes yeah yeah yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that that's better nikki that's a better way to think about it it's the fact that idocratic was young or young enough Mm. had years ahead of her productivity well and had a family who still wanted to get her out like other people were getting dumped there yeah one one would imagine her mom wanted her to be rehabilitated so anyhow but yeah your your immediate family could fairly easily have you committed is the other side of this your husband could easily commit you your or your mother like she's not married right so Thank God. Good choice, girl. Well, you married the one man who can't take your rights away because he's dead. I mean, that's true, Nikki. But, you know, in the long run, mom just stepped in and did it on his on the non-husband's <laughs> behalf. do it, your mom might. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. So while Craddock's mother was scandalized by her otherworldly nuptials, Craddock was not the only spiritualist who had undertaken marriage in this fashion uh, to a spirit as we've been talking about. Um, I have another example here. The Reverend Samuel Watson performed at least two ceremonies in Memphis, Tennessee, in which he married a living man to a materialized spirit wife. Uh, And yes, I I also personally came across the story of a woman in Bordentown uh, who married the spirit of her deceased fiancé. This is not to suggest that the practice was common or that Lizzie was not very much within the scope of public opinion when she decided her daughter's marriage was a sign of mental illness, but Craddock also was not alone in engaging in this kind of a wedding. I don't know that she actually had a ceremony, though. So, FYI. Maybe we just couldn't see it. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was about to say, because like, how would that work like i guess you don't you don't necessarily need the ceremony to actually do it in the case of the good reverend watson i I mean the word materialized jumps out to me that the spirit would have taken some kind of form during the and actually been there for the wedding like like... oh okay 
I don't know how that worked or what that looked like. I would have loved to have been there, but I say that about a lot of the stuff we talk about. Yeah, what what a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to be involved in the ceremony, but yeah, uh, to watch it. Oh, I'd be a bridesmaid. (laughs) This wedding sounds amazing. Like the ring bear or something. (laughs) Flower girl. So Craddock Mm -hmm. uh, started her book, Heavenly Bridegroom, on a... (laughs) So the flower petals are dead. Craddock started... (laughs) You can't lose the rings because you can't see them. These black rose petals. Uh, Craddock started her book, Heavenly Bridegroom, on a controversial note. So this is the book she wrote about this uh, style of marriage. While some may be inclined to doubt or throw religious sanction on her union with a ghost from the borderland, she noted that Jesus himself was the child of a mortal woman and an immortal being. Oh, sh- oh, got him there. Yeah. <laughs> if Jesus can do it, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, got him. Yeah. Well, Mary, marry, if Mary like, can do it. Yeah. <laughs> she said, yeah. however godlike and whatever the details of the union... The union is valid in so many words. God, she says, after the philosophers, never breaks his own laws. And so if he united with Mary, then spiritual union must be in accordance with his laws. Entities of the spirit world, is what she's arguing, can unite with entities of the material world. Yeah, no. She's got him there. there kind of backed him into a quarter. That's pretty sound logic <laughs> she's not, to me, honestly. She's not done yet, though. She's got more examples. The Song of Solomon, she references yet again to make her point, uh, as I have also used the Song of Solomon to make a point. Uh, <laughs> here she argues that the passion ascribed to the union of Christ and the church is intentionally put in marital terms, and I would even go so far as to say sexual terms. The Bible endorses this sort of union, she says, but so do the apocryphal texts. Enoch, for example, has angels engaged in sexual relations with women, which could have remained kosher, says Craddock, except that they became too sensual. This, uh, well, are you all right with that? Your sex was too sexy. Got a little too sexy. Your angel sex was too sexy. If they had just, yeah, calmed it down a little bit. This, of course, points back to the canonical work of Words of Genesis about the Nephilim having sex with the daughters of men. The early church interpreted these unions as sinful in the cause of an angelic fall, in part after Enoch, and in part because of the church father's general conviction that sex, even between married partners, was sinful. Craddock actually quotes the church fathers to make her own opposite point. Justin Martyr, for example, argued that the Christian's contention about the divine parentage of Jesus was no different than claims made about the birth of Dionysus to a mortal woman or the late or the tale of Leda and the Swan or Hercules or any of the many other children fathered by Zeus. The claims about Jesus are not so strange given this list, but then neither are the claims made by Ida Craddock. <laughs> yeah. Now to laugh to scorn the birth of Perseus from the occult union of God with one of virgin, and then to accept without question the birth of Jesus from the occult union of God with another virgin, is somewhat inconsistent. On strictly logical grounds, if one story be false, so may the other be false. If one be true, so may the other be true. Love it. She adds Egyptian, Muslim, and Finnish myth to her list. That's the Finns, Finlandia. Uh, of immaculate conceptions to be extra thir- I know it's Finland, my Finland listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Rob. Um, it's okay, Finland. I love you. 
And finish myth, by the way, to her list of immaculate conceptions to be extra thorough in proving her point. Now, Finns, I'm here for you. In the Finnish legend taken from the Kalevala, a woman eats a magical berry and becomes pregnant, but no one will let her into their home to give birth, and she winds up in a manger talking to a horse. Oh. What kind of berry was that? Yeah. Perhaps most significant to her argument is the tale of Psyche. And we'll give it some space here by, uh, I'm going to have Jake and Nikki act it out in our usual alchemical actor's fashion. Psyche's father received a message from an oracle saying that he must send his daughter to a mysterious castle to wed a serpent monster. And Psyche, like you do, normal day in a Greek myth. Psyche, being the dutiful daughter, obliged him. But this was all part of Aphrodite's scheming, and Eros arrived to carry out her plans, only to fall in love with Psyche himself. All right, take it away. You guys got your scripts up? Yep. Let's, you betcha. Let's do it. <clears throat> okay. Oh, father, why have you listened to the oracle and left your comeliest daughter atop this mountain to be wed to a winged serpent more powerful than the gods? Clearly, a winged serpent is some kind of metaphor, since serpents always mean penises in these mythological situations. Oh, look! A beautiful castle just popped up out of nowhere on top of this pretty, remote, and desolate mountain. I should probably walk up there, but the walk is likely to take me the rest of the day until it's pretty dark out. Yeah, this is a long walk, and it's getting pretty dark. Oh, Psyche youngest and fairest of your father's daughters. I see how your beauty has driven so many from my mother's temple. People have forgotten the goddess of love, Aphrodite, and fall down in worship of your beautiful form. She sent me to punish you and make you fall in love with the ugliest beast I could conjure. But now I too am smitten with you and would smite you to be smitten with me rather than smitten with a beast which is gross and a waste of such a hot princess. Ping, I have smited you. Gaze upon me. Except you can't see me because it's really dark, but you will love me all the same. Wife, it is I, your new husband. Welcome to my castle. Let me make love to you. Oh, husband, you don't feel like a serpent. Well, most of you doesn't anyway. You feel like a sexy man. If only I could see you, but this castle is so dark. In daylight, I must go about my business being more powerful than the gods themselves and doing the kinds of things a guy like that would do. When the sun sets, I will visit you for sexing. You mean I must never gaze upon you? No. Enjoy me in the dark, princess, for I am loving and sexing you most sexily. It is so pleasing, my lover. I'm full glad you are pleased. Let us sleep. He is spent. My godly lover is asleep. I can take the mystery no longer. I must see his face. I will simply hold this oil lamp aloft just a bit closer. Oh, hot oil on my face. Ow, that really stings. You have failed, Psyche. I am gone forever. Whoosh, bye-bye. You know, out of all the things I've ever done acting for you, that's not the weirdest. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but Almost I can please sexy. <laughs> I can tell you've been missing the stage, though. <laughs> I really have. That felt 
that I know Eros and Psyche felt good, but that felt good. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Oh my goodness. Okay. In Craddock's reading of the Psyche myth, Psyche sought to continue along the path of occult knowledge that Eros had opened up to her, but she failed to exhibit self-control when she sought to behold his face before the time for such viewing had come. As a rule, though, women are better suited for these otherworldly unions because they tend to lead more self-controlled and temperate lives, the necessary conditions for a marriage with a heavenly partner. Men smoke too much, and drink too much, and whore too much. Too much, that is. Yeah, you right? whores. Yeah. <laughs> to allow for marriage with an angel wife. I don't know, Nikki, some of those... <laughs> is this true of ladies today, Nikki? I don't know. None of this seems true of anybody ever. Oh, that women are more temperate? Oh, no. Well, mm, depends on the woman. Depends on the lady. See, yeah. It's more varied yeah, It just depends days. on the people. That's the thing, is it's... We all have different estrogen and testosterone levels. We're all our own unique mix of the male and the female, quote unquote. So, yeah. That's the magic. I mean, if we're looking at this time period, like the temperance movement would be a bunch of ladies. There's, some, oh, of yeah. course, some men involved, but it would be a bunch of ladies. And it, I think in part it comes back to, I mean, it's a social thing. The woman is, yes, in control of the domestic sphere. So when we think about alcohol, I mean, this is something that a man's out doing with his friends at the bar and then he comes back drunk and it, it becomes a real problem for a woman in her home. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. Let them live too. They enjoy too. They get to enjoy themselves as well. You know, it's not just for the men. Not just for the men. Yeah, but then you have two alcoholics <laughs> instead of one. Damn. <laughs> I, I, Truth. I would say the same thing about the whoring. Ultimately, I mean, male prostitutes are, are not nearly as common as female prostitutes. So so who is, mm-hmm. I mean, holding the bag at the end of the day? It's the wife who contracts herpes. Mm-hmm. You know? So you can see why women the married middle-class woman had a certain attitude toward all this business. But yes, times have changed, Nikki. Times have changed. I mean, people were a blend of genders back then too, but you know, their social... That's not the way we saw it. Yeah. There wasn't that idea out there. They were far more constrained in their options. You're born with female genitals. That's going to say one thing about what your life's going to look like. Male genitals is going to say another thing. Okay. So that having been said, by the way, about men, not being as good at spiritual marriage. Craddock does identify an archetype for the female as heavenly partner, just as Eros is the male archetype. So in other words, Eros is our our like archetype for the kind of heavenly bridegroom a woman, a, a human woman could have. Now the archetype for a man, if he is to have a heavenly partner, a heavenly wife is now this might strike you as strange Lilith. Okay. Yeah. So Lilith is the prototype for the spirit bride. But I mean, yeah, but like that was a weird <laughs> choice for them. <laughs> yeah, because up to this time period, if you read the literature on Lilith, she is the mother Not of popular. demons. Yeah. I mean, she's what a true blood, she's like the first vampire. She's evil. But Craddock is making a pretty interesting argument, and I actually think she's largely responsible for the revival of Lilith, or at least she introduces the idea. She's not alone, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Craddock says that Lilith is maligned 
for be- as being a mother of demons, with sources claiming that she had sex with Adam and produced copious demonic offspring. Craddock, along with the Scottish novelist George MacDonald, working separately on the same theme, undertook to revitalize Lilith and reframe her from evil spirit to icon of divine femininity, which is generally how she's characterized today, at least in our circles, right? Yeah. 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 The traditional mischaracterization of an angelic female sexual partner as evil is actually a sign of ancient man's gross lack of self-control. <laughs> the night terrors and murders attributed to Lilith are a reflection of men's inability to properly engage with spirit brides. In theory, we've gotten better at this, but back in the day, no good. So we called her demonic. With proper occult understanding and control, Lilith can be welcomed as a divine force for good. Got it? Yep, that sounds about right. I mean, in, she's capturing so many dimensions of that heterosexual relationship between male and female. The inclination to call a woman a whore that you that whose sexual whose sexuality threatens you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there it is, right in Lilith. But Craddock sees it, she identifies it, she pins it down, and she says that is the male's mistake. Not the female's mistake. I love that. Yeah. Nice. Good on her for flipping it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the first. That she should be credited with being the author, Evil Night Dreams, shows how prone the partners of spirit brides have been to subjective hallucinations. We do not find any such wholesale charge brought against spirit husbands of betraying evil dreams as is brought against Lilith. The imaginations of men's heart must indeed have been evil in those days and their brains be clouded, or the difference between a materialized spirit bride and the subjective phantasm of an amorous dream would have been more sharply defined. The psychic who conforms two separate planes of existence has forsaken the path of self-control and clear-headedness. A similar fantasy plagued those accused of being witches. The so-called devils and incubi that witches copulated with in the forest in the night were actually angelic beings. Craddock credited the Rosicrucians with dispelling this profound misunderstanding by advocating for the reality of elementary spirits and suggesting the possibility of uniting with them in a state of chastity and without recourse to sorcery. After all, the rose and the cross symbolized the union between a man and a woman. I was going to bring up the witch thing because that you know it reminded me of what you said before like you know you're so quick to call a woman a whore and like what came from was like and back in the day you're so quick to call a woman you were threatened by a witch right right different words but like very same idea behind it it's like always just putting down for being empowered almost Mm -hmm. which which that's that's messed up yeah (laughs) obviously i don't need to say that but like (laughs) <laughs> you know what hot take sexism that shit's messed up that's, that's messed some up some of you out there might not like this but we are you coming out like against it. sexism I, yeah i know weird stance but <laughs> i mean it, it's it is powerful though on the part of the institution the enfranchised right to use this tactic it keeps women in their place so to speak mm-hmm. for centuries I mean, millennia to, to execute these. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I want to historicize here, though. 
the witch thing is is a little suspect. I mean, when we're talking about witches, we are talking about people probably with folk beliefs who were not running off into the forest. That was the invention of uh, their con- of the people who elicited confessions from them. Yeah. Um, we did the episode on witchcraft and, and the scholars today, Norman Kahn, I think, but best among them argue that the reason they had to go off to the forest to have sex with the devil is because if they did it in their backyard, then the neighbors would hear and no neighbors ever heard a witch having sex with the devil. So, <laughs> you know, so obviously they're in the woods. Yeah. You know? We got to come up with these stories. And, and in order to get to the woods, they have to fly. And it's, yeah, we start. If a witch has sex in the woods, does anyone hear <laughs> Nobody's there. Yeah. <laughs> no one's there to hear. Does it really happen? Did she really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I think you, you guys' point is well taken that these women with folk beliefs, these women operating outside the paradigm, were in a more vulnerable position because of their gender plus being, you know, practicing outside of the norm. Um, and then the Rosicrucians, I think this is fascinating. I, I mean, it's a key component of the central Rosicrucian texts. If we look at the original Rosicrucian texts, that it's really it's 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 a it's a masculine spirituality that christianity has got this masculine edge to it and that what has been lost is the female i mean the chemical wedding is all about recovering the lost Mm -hmm. female energy and it could be sexual i don't think the rose the good protestant rosicrucians necessarily viewed it that way but they left the door wide open because it's this allegorical tale it's not explicit in what it means but they're very clear that the it's the missing female element of spirituality that is depriving people of being full or complete in their relationship with God. The genius of Craddock's relatively short 100-page book on heavenly romantic partners lies in its capacity to embrace so much occult thought, unite it with Christian tradition, and subsume it into this singular phenomena of marriage between a human and a non-physical being. St. Teresa, Mary Magdalene, and St. Rose of Lima are named beside the Rosicrucians and accused witches and solicitors of Lilith as humans who have consorted with a divine partner in one way or another. What a list, right? Yeah. Just covering all the bases. All the bases. (laughs) Saints and apostles, we got them all. In Craddock's analysis, the mysticism at the heart of Christianity and religion more broadly conceived is the product of a spiritual marriage that at first blush seemed esoteric and bizarre. In fact, the phenomenon is quite common. In China, she says, people don't remarry after their spouse passes on because the ghost continues to visit and commune with them from beyond the grave. I, I don't know if that's this... really sweet. <laughs> I find that really sweet. <laughs> I don't know enough about late 19th century Chinese marriage to say one way or the other. Uh, but I do think in the case of a woman, she would not remarry at yeah. that time period. Yeah. Certainly things have changed since communism. Mao tried to even everybody out. But uh, you used to just be a widow. Your husband died. Sucks. Yeah. yeah widow yeah. now. I mean, it's better than the the bridal to lighting the, the wife on fire. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Glad we got past that. Uh, I don't think the Chinese ever did that, but don't quote me on that. While her points of evidence may be glossed <laughs> to fit into her larger argument, there's a strength to her ability to pull so many disparate phenomena together to make her case. So, in other words, she's not really drilling too deep. Like, like, like I'm saying here, like, do the Chinese really practice this? I'm sure some do. Did they practice at the time period? As a white Western woman, she believed that they did, and it helped make mm. her case, right? 
Yeah, she cast a wide wet, f- wide net for information that um. A wide wet net. She sourced from. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, sexy Doctor Seuss. So yeah. <laughs> I mean Mary Magdalene. Like it, she's just she's you, you can tell that she's she's stretching a little, but it, she can stretch to get everything under this umbrella. Is is I think the great creative work mm-hmm. that she accomplishes. In addition to spiritual marriage, the physical husband and his physical wife can engage in sex magic with their sexing. <laughs> nice. Yeah, right? So, and, and this is before Aleister Crowley. This is, I mean, this is really a precursor to the sex magic that's going to follow. What was, like, an initial, like, pulling from to, or, or was it just, like, a, in the moment, ah, this is a thing we can do, or was it, like, learning from something else pascal beverly randolph is one of the first to introduce the concept of sex magic to the western mm-hmm. world uh so i think craddock must be drawing on him um he's one of gotcha. america's mm-hmm. first occultists we covered his career he predated her by about 20 years um i don't so i i do see hints of randolph in what she's talking about but before randolph it's it's unclear exactly where sex magic was being practiced, <laughs> who was practicing it. India, possibly, uh, maybe Egypt, you know, these different occulty corners where, you know, the Western occultists claim to get all their secrets. But it's Randolph is really, for me, ground zero for a lot of it. Gotcha. Craddock cites three reasons why the occult powers of sex, sex magic have been kept occult, which is to say secret. To begin, it is not for the faint of heart and not to be approached lightly, and so it's likely that it's been intentionally concealed for the benefit of all. So don't just go out and start sex magicking and think it's going to be all fun and games. Because <laughs> someone might have a weak heart. Right. <laughs> you got to give your kids a sex talk, and then you got to give them the sex magic talk. Yes, yes, in that <laughs> order, in that order. Second, it allows parents to choose when they conceive their children, and more on that later, which invites sexual license. If sex doesn't necessarily end in pregnancy, think of all the sex we might be having. Just uh. think of it. <laughs> You're talking so, to me and Jacob right now. So I, I, I'm about... <laughs> 90% sure. A lot of it hasn't ended in pregnancy, but I'll ch- I'll check in just to be sure. <laughs> you are 90% sure? What a Yeah, I don't know. 10 per- you have a 10% chance that you have children out there? For immaculate yeah. conception, duh. You don't know everything about my life. I, I mean, I, oh. I am aware of a few women who have snuck in there, but I figured that you were aware of at least, you know, I was in you. Never mind. <laughs> I talked to my partner the other day. I was like, are we trying to have kids? And he was like, we can't. And I was like, oh. Like that. <laughs> because that's the 10%. Because he's, I'm just confused. Is it, be- <laughs> is it because he's infertile? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to put his business. Okay. All right. That. That's, that's fair. That's fair. I'm sorry. That was but, yes. too personal. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, now my m- m- my queer <laughs> friends, it is also true for for the hetero side, uh, which you have both you know played around with, that we have lots of tools and tricks we can use to have fun, fun sex without all that pregnancy. 
So Craddock does read a little bit, you know. It's it's an eighteen ninety five kind of Dated, thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she's like, oh my god! If only there was something that could stop me from having kids every time I had sex. I mean, that poor oh god, k- kind of. So but, <laughs> sorry, ladies. Uh, but in a way, for her, this is a good thing because it makes people more responsible about sex. The sexual license right. is to her an issue. We shouldn't just be going around banging everybody we see. Right. So if sex doesn't necessarily end in pregnancy, oh, sorry, I did that. And third, third, the third reason. So reason number one, it's not for the faint of heart. Reason number two, sexual license, not so good for our souls. Reason number three, a wish made earnestly during sex by both partners will be granted. I know that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, though. That's that's cute. Earnestly, yeah. That's a little bit of P.B. Randolph. He said things about manifesting and that's a very new agey TikToky thing right now everybody talks about manifesting your goals well are you doing it while you're having orgasms with your partner seems like yeah. a really powerful time to do it yeah, but, from yeah. what i've heard you know like you have a lot of release of energy so we're starting our TikTok channel like right that. now to be, begin yeah. promoting that message i have What's a TikTok. there's two TikToks of my dog nice oh um <laughs> You are just got to replace some of the words when we were talking about it, though. I guess release could be a good word. Oh, you're not allowed Uh, to talk about sex on TikTok? No. You have to censor yourself a little bit. There's no point in that, then. I know. Sticking with podcasting. Should our occult-inspired husband and wife use this power to make wishes uh, to wish harm or death on their enemies, this is a clear instance of black magic and probably also your newest fetish. (laughs) How did, oh how did my you gosh. Know? I, I've already recorded several videos to this effect. Go to occultconfessions.com and for the low, low price of $59.99, you too can tap into the black magic death wish fetish videos that I've created. Wow. Don't you wish that your sex ended with someone you hated dying? We can help. <laughs> yeah, I lo- Now it can. <laughs> Nikki, Jake, you go back to your partners to see if, if you guys would like to produce some videos for my fetish channel. Okay. I welcome them. <laughs> if anyone, yeah, I got your bags. <laughs> if anyone emails me, mail us your hit lists. Um... Rob, I can't find the page with the black magic fetish. Where is it? <laughs> I will. I will speak your name on this podcast. I'm serious. Yeah, we'll do the work for you. <laughs> The introductory secrets of occult sexual knowledge are put on display in the form of a Middle Eastern belly dance, which is misunderstood by Westerners, but regarded with reverence in its culture of origin. So this is this is an important part of Craddock's perspective here, that the belly dance is actually telling us all about sex magic. We just, you know, in her time period, it was regarded as the sinful display. Her spiritual marriage coincided with her turn towards sexual reform as a political project. So she's both arguing for spirit marriage as a possibility and as a way to attain this sort of uh, deep occult knowledge. And she's now taken on the politics of sex in marriage, sex reform. In 1893, a Middle Eastern dancer caused an uproar for performing a belly dance at the Chicago World's Columbian Exposition. People clearly didn't understand what exposition meant. (laughs) 
<laughs> Craddock, thanks, Nikki. Craddock wrote a four-page four article on Le Danse de Ventre for the Chicago Clinic. And every, back back then, if we if you put it in French, it sounded classier. So mm-hmm. trying to get away from that moral stain. The notorious moralizer and censor Anthony Comstock pounced on this article, citing the laws he'd helped to pass criminalizing sending obscene materials in the mail. Comstock called Craddock's article unfit for the postal service. <laughs> so. Like, like what type of obscene materials are we talking? I mean, this article was, it was just writing about how oh, belly dances are okay. okay. <laughs> and, I mean, that, that, that they like <laughs> contain sexual secrets, I guess, but that they're okay. Oh. That we shouldn't be scandalized by them. Gotcha. He was like, no, gotcha. we should. And I'm mad <laughs> now. Yeah. That's, that's lame. <laughs> so the Comstock... Sounds like someone needs some sex magic, honestly. Oh, a little bit. Just get over it. Yeah. Uh, the Comstock... I mean, boy, this guy was the worst. But the, the, the Comstock laws... We're going to hate him a lot by the end of this episode. But the Comstock laws... For those who don't remember us talking about them in the past, we talked about them a lot on the Victoria Woodhull episode, and, and now's a great time. After you listen to this, you can go back and have a listen to the Victoria Woodhull episode again. It's early in the series, like our second season. Uh, but Comstock, his the laws he passed were about the distribution of material in the mail. He um, caused it to become illegal to send things he deemed obscene through the mail service, but the definition of what obscene was hadn't been fixed in any way. So this resulted in a lot of court trials and Comstock became the kind of like de facto um, arbiter of what was and wasn't obscene because he, after he got the law passed, spent all of his time trying to catch people sending obscene materials in the mail. Uh, get, get a life. <laughs> so seems like, yeah, seems like a losing battle and yeah. a lot of time. Is he like going through people's mailboxes or something? Like, what? What are you gonna do? Well, he's no, no, no. You don't get this letter. It's mine. <laughs> and then he runs away. <laughs> Ooh, that's illegal. <laughs> this, this letter smells dirty. So, what what he's doing actually is is he like he'll catch like. I mean, it's tough today. Information is so scattered, but let's say there's a. You know, something makes nas- grabs national attention. People are whispering all around Chicago about, you know, the belly dance. And then people are whispering about this woman who defended the belly dancer. And Comstock says, oh, she she wrote an article defending a belly dancer. And then he writes to Craddock or he writes to the newspaper and he asks the newspaper to mail him a copy. Gotcha. Do you see? That's illegal. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> only Yeah. In eight, yeah, it's ridiculous. In 1899, Comstock came for her again when she published Right Marital Living again in the clinic. Uh, the, what is it? Chicago Clinic was the name of the newspaper, the periodical. Craddock was working as a sex counselor and enrolled people in a mail order course on marital sexual relations. <laughs> this is a job she made up, I think. Like, I don't think there were sex counselors at this time period. The attorney Clarence Darrow, most famous for defending Scopes in the Scopes Monkey Trial, bailed Craddock out to the tune of $500. You guys know the Scopes Monkey Trial? Well, Nikki, you're Canadian. Do you know the Scopes Monkey Monkey, monkey Trial? They talk about that? No. Yeah, it's an American thing, I guess. But Jacob, what do you you know about the Scopes Monkey Trial? 
I know the name of it. <laughs> <You've> heard <laughs> tell. I've heard More tell. than me. Scopes was a public school teacher who uh, taught art evolution. Was one of the Tennessee, I believe, had passed a law against teaching evolution, mm. and mm-hmm. he taught evolution in the schools, and uh, he was sued for it oh. or he was fired sorry and so he oh, okay. i believe he sued the school district then after he was fired so where's the monkey come in it, evolution yeah evolution you be oh you used right. to be a no, monkey I, I, yep mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's why it took me so long to get there <laughs> evolution <laughs> so there was a monkey who sued him it was the monkey who passed the law so the monkey was real yeah. you're real pissed Right. <laughs> the monkey was tired of humans claiming to have once been him, so he went to the Tennessee yeah. legislature. Identity theft. Yeah. He, yeah. he said, I am not the father. <laughs> he said, Don't he put did me a in <laughs> <laughs> They say, I am the one, but the kid is not my son. Mm-hmm. Right marital living focuses on how and when husband and wife ought to have, but 10%, there's a 10% chance that Jake is your dad. Right marital living <laughs> focuses on how and when husband and wife ought to have sex and has some unusual things to say from a modern perspective. Craddock says that men who masturbate or spill their seed during intercourse are easily spotted by the looks on their faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They look more relaxed. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's probably right. That's that's pretty true, yeah. <laughs> she also says that attempts at contraception that fail will produce inferior offspring. So not so progressive, Craddock, sorry. While pregnant women often desire sex because of the swelling of their uterus, couples should be moderate in their approach, and the man should not ejaculate if he knows his partner is already pregnant. So go ahead and have sex, but no ejaculation. But you don't want to have twins. I don't don't know what the logic is Is that how that works? (laughs) Sex during breastfeeding is a terrible idea because it renders the milk feverish. It's been shaken up. You can't drink it anymore. Uh, Yes. It's more of a milkshake. Too sugary. The kid's gonna be wired for hours. <laughs> you put your lady in the mood, and it just yeah. it warms up the milk. Warms, yeah, <laughs> perfect. You don't have to heat up the bottle. What? Kid's got that hot milk. Nice. So we got some seed spilling issues, friends, is what I'm trying to say. And to get around the trouble Apparently. of seeds, I, you know, let me go back to the breastfeeding thing. So we're joking around, but it is true. I mean, if we're thinking about 19th century, no contraception, you're not even trying to, you know, prevent pregnancy. If you're still breastfeeding, you may bring about a pregnancy that's pretty close on top of the last one. And yeah. that's not really, really great for a woman's body. Yeah. It's a misconception. What do I say? A myth that women can't get pregnant during breastfeeding. Women, many women believe this. An old this. wives' tale. Yeah, but that's not actually true. I, I think you're less likely, but not by a whole lot. You definitely can still get pregnant. So I, I think that the prohibition here is wise, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> a little off, but a little off. They've got the spirit. But yeah, Craddock's got the right idea. So but we we're worried about spilling our seed here. Right, right, gentlemen and ladies. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, I can't keep my seat in. It's just spilling all over. <laughs> the place. Oh my god. I'm sure, Nikki. Nothing that you're doing with your seat is what Craddock envisioned either. <laughs> Craddock advises men to practice suppressing their semen. They can prevent orgasm long before it starts when both partners simply quit moving. <laughs> Nobody breathes. He's talking about edging. That's yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This oh, wait, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can say that. But It's like... a podcast. This is not TikTok. You can say edging. Oh, okay. It's podcast. She's, she's literally talking about edging. Yes, yeah, she like... is. This is, li- this is exactly edging. They can bring themselves close to orgasm and then stop before it comes. <laughs> it's edging. Edging. Wait, what's... Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there, like, another in the whole sex magic stuff that, like, edging was a part of yes, it? Yes, yes. Okay. Joseph Humphrey Noise. Like, okay, that's it there it happens so frequently that like a lot of the sex magic stuff like just lingers in my head sometimes and it like i keep like thinking about it and the other day i was thinking about it and i was like no this is a thing right mm-hmm. so thank you yes it's um it, uh, oh there's a word for there's a modern practice and i can't remember the name of it but joseph humphrey noise and the perfectionists practiced this and you can do it today mm. it's a it's a thing anyhow i mean yes yeah. i know it's a fetish as well but it's yeah <laughs> I mean, some of this... Anyway, we'll get into it. You can also go through the orgasm, but without ejaculating. That you're going to have to practice at. Yep. In every case, it is... I think it is possible, and, and some men can do it. It's a matter of uh, kind of like male Kegel exercises. Having a vasectomy? Well, no, you're... <laughs> I don't want to ruin your conception of that, Nikki, but you're still going to come. You just don't have any sperms in it. I thought it just meant nothing came out. No, you got stuff coming out. What do you just smoke comes out, oh. you think? It's just <laughs> I don't know. I've never met someone with a vasectomy. Well, you've never seen them come, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure you've never slept with a man who's had a vasectomy. Okay, there you okay? go. But I've met you I'm sure you've met people who've had vasectomies. <laughs> their their penis wasn't at that moment sputtering smoke, but yeah. <laughs> you would still I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. Just keep There's going. so many lessons today. So many like basic sex ed lessons. Yes, you would still ejaculate and most of your stuff would be there, just no sperm in the stuff. You know what? I bet I bet there's people who don't know that. Yeah, so, so that's I'm not good, the only no, one. It's fine. You don't it's not information you really need, but FYI. You personally, Nikki. Others may need that. In every case, by the way, the male partner focuses on the spiritual or the ideal during the moment of suppression. So you got to focus on the spirit as you're holding back your orgasm. In the th- right. third step, when we're going through the orgasm... But- <laughs> you're taking notes. Yeah, do it. I am, actually. <laughs> I was writing it down. Step three, when we're going through the <laughs> orgasm but not ejaculating, Craddock says, the man should pass through the orgasm without ejaculating the semen, but with the full enjoyment of the final thrill and in union with God or nature or the ultimate force. It is to be mastered in the same way as were the first and second steps. So I guess you sort of train up to it. You, you get it? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like that, that's a thing you would have to like train up for in general to teach yourself how to do, I, right? I, I think that you end up doing these male Kegels. That, that's basically what it works out to. So you're as you're edging yourself, huh. you're building these muscles that eventually will allow you to orgasm without ejaculating. Huh. Yeah. Something you can try over the next six months. All right, I'll I'll, I'll let everyone know. I'll let yeah, get back to us on this. I'm intrigued. Six months later, guys, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do it too. And Order our can... step by step. And believe it or not, smoke came out. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, 
Nikki was right. <laughs> it was smoke. Just... <laughs> oh, boy. W- women should train in a similar fashion, by the way, Nikki, and the couple should not be alarmed okay. if, despite the fact that both of them are attaining spiritual control over their orgasms, they're still oozing fluids into and around each other. Fluids will happen after all. <laughs> Way to crush the dream. If <laughs> 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 you got a, the smoke is like really the end product, so it takes a while to get there. Oh, you got to accept a lot of fluids along the way, not get upset when you have fluids. Oh, gotcha. God. For couples, this method is essential because it allows a woman to choose when she becomes pregnant. Craddock acknowledges her detractors who fear that this teaching will result in no more human births, but she says... <laughs> this, I love that. We're built, no, actually, it hurts too much. We're done if we don't have we to. We can teach women how not That's to. It. They'll just give it up. Uh, oh my god i would that'd be great she said though this is ridiculous because women and men will still want to have children we know this to be true today um yeah but it is an outrage for a woman to be forced to have a child that she did not plan for and expect let me say that one more time it is an outrage for a woman to be forced to have a child that she did not plan for and expect it's the 1890s Mm, i mean just before 1900 Woodhall said something similar, but not quite as far Mm -hmm. as Craddock goes with this. Contact, both sexual and sensual, is an important part of marital bliss. Couples should plan on regular nude embraces, with and without sex, setting this time aside for high-minded conversation (laughs) in addition to physical caresses. I like that. I think that's very nice. No, that's sweet. Like, that's kind of, I don't know if cute's the right word, but like, that's sweet. That's like wholesome in a way, you know? That's like a cool, like, you're really like just giving like a vulnerable, like connection to someone, even if it's not like a sexual like thing, it's still essential. You're connecting with someone and that's like, that's pretty beautiful. It is really beautiful. I like that. It's good advice. Have intimacy with your partner without the expectation of sex. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. Craddock said every marital embrace should be the occasion for the exchange of intellectual ideas and conversation. Think and talk during the nude embrace and also at intervals during the sexual embrace of good books, pictures, statuary, music, sermons, plans for benefiting other people, noble deeds, spiritual aspirations. Dear wife, oh. Sermons. Oh, wife, oh. Oh, this is so good. Yes, yes, you are so tight. You know, I saw a lovely statue yesterday. Did you see the new statuary outside of the Met? I did, husband. Oh, oh. <laughs> I love it. I love Do the idea. Do you remember that one Bible? Uh, what was that Bible verse? Paul 23? Yes. Oh, yes, honey. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what does it. <laughs> yeah. It's such a... Honestly. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, like... Sex talk would go to another level. It's sex intellectual talk. That's what I'm looking for. (laughs) How do you think humans were like made? Are you like evolution or the Big Bang? What's your your theory? And then they say, "I'll show you the Big Bang." And then (laughs) that is hot. That's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Men should plan to set aside up to half an hour to arouse their partner before sex. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely just half an hour come on we can I do mean, better hey, than that you're the time that's a pretty good guideline and if she yeah. still doesn't become aroused he should respect her feelings and wait until next time Boom. Oh, shit. there it is 
Absolutely. What an icon. For her part, the woman should not suppress her instinctual desire to accompany her husband's sexual motions with her own pelvic thrusts. And if she is not inclined to them, she should go ahead and start doing them anyway. God, get it, girl. Both parties should plan to spend about an hour in their sexual embrace. Nature has so made a woman that it takes her from half an hour to an hour after the entrance of the male organ to come to her orgasm. This is nature's indication that the man ought to wait for the woman and not to hasten through the act, as is too frequently the case. A man who gets through in from 3 to 10 minutes after entrance not only misses the most intense form of pleasure, but also fails to satisfy his wife properly. All right. This podcast is a big fan, as you can hear, of female sexual pleasure, but I expect some of Craddock's expectations on timing were a product of her historical era. With all respect to Nikki's half hour, the fear and reticence inspired by the late Victorian age must have made arousal a more complex psychophysical event for some, (laughs) if not many, people. It may be that a woman's first orgasm or first orgasm with a new partner could take as long as an hour, but in my opinion, Nikki, correct me if I'm wrong, partners who are comfortable with each other should ideally be able to get to arousal anyway a bit faster. (laughs) You can certainly take the whole half hour if you want. But I hope but, uh, you get there. But someone's maybe not feeling it if the yeah, half hour's you know, a long sparks time. aren't going by half an hour. Maybe it's not the mood. I presume, of course, that a woman is going to have multiple orgasms in every sexual encounter with her partner. Craddock doesn't necessarily all follow me there. She doesn't say that. <laughs> but, but we can both agree that female orgasms are important. I, I don't know if I've told this story on the show, but I, my class, I, I, my, my intro to theater class this semester... I don't think any of them listen to the show, so it's no big deal that I tell this story. I asked them, because I talk about sex in that class all the time, Jake knows. And I <laughs> said, uh, we're talking about flow and how you flow and different experiences. And I said, you know, how do you, what is flow like in sex? How do you know that you're, you know, connected with the experience? And and I, um, somehow we got around to how long they spend at it. They were like, oh yeah, if you're good at sex, then you do it the right amount of time. And I said, what is the right amount of time? And somebody said... 20 minutes. <laughs> wow, okay. I said for the whole thing? Well, you know, my dad's knocking on the door. Hey, fair point. <laughs> college moment, sex, yeah. I remembered you were talking about college yeah, kids. College kids. <laughs> college kids. Yeah. No, no. This guy, he's got his own apartment, but whenever he's having sex, his dad gets in the car, drives across town. <sighs> it's like you a know, spidey sense. Starts banging on the door. Jimmy's having sex over there. I know it. <laughs> this kid I was talking to, he actually said he, he he's, he's like creeped out by. He thinks his dad's being a little creepy, trying to like creep on his girlfriend. I don't know. Oh no. Ew. Craddock moved to New York, presumably to confront Comstock on his own turf. And although she claimed she'd stick to face-to-face instruction, she began distributing her lectures and articles through the mail again. She sent one of these articles to one of Comstock's pseudonyms, and in March 19... 19- yeah, because people were not... He wasn't like, send your, inf- your obscene article to Anthony Comstock, care of... <laughs> He had all sorts of pseudonyms and addresses. And in March 1902, she ended up spending three months in jail. She was muted. Yeah, she was. You're not gonna like this. This is the dark part. Sorry. Okay, warning. It gets dark right now. So we've been having a lot of fun. It's about to get dark. 
She was immediately rearrested on her release for more or less the same thing and was convicted in October. On the day of her sentencing, she committed suicide by inhaling an anesthetic gas and slashing her wrists. The judge responsible had made it clear that he planned to send Craddock to prison for as long as possible, and she believed that prison would kill her. So this censorship stuff, this Comstock stuff, he's the, he is truly a, a villain of American history. I, I don't say that very, very often, but... Very vile... Um, that's disgusting. Side effects of his stupid little laws. When you... I mean, think about the things that I'm talking about. And, and even, you know, as I'm talking about Craddock, she's so conservative compared to us yeah. talking today. You know, it's it's all about being married and abortion's not on the table here it's about controlling ejaculation to prevent unwanted children it, it, my goodness she wrote two notes two suicide notes one was to her mother and one was to the public to her mother she said not to trust communications from the borderland she was not going there but to a spirit world beyond where she would wait for her mother to join her so in other words, don't trust a medium who says they're talking to me. Mm-hmm. She wrote that she wished she had been allowed to carry out her activities from her mother's home and with her mother's guidance, and that this might have kept her from the wrong side of the law. Oh, if only you could have brought yourself to have let me live at home to carry on my propaganda under your modifying advice. Then this need never have been... And I could have lived for many years to carry on a moderate, far less crudely radical propaganda than I have done. I have had nobody to stand by me and to help me. I have had to carve out my own road without any predecessors to guide me. So she believed that... I don't think she had any problem with anything she was saying, but I think that at, at, at root she believed that she could have perhaps presented the material more democratically and gotten around the censors but still like (laughs) going like going through all of that and then at the end being like wow i can't believe that like what i did has put me in this situation it's like no the work you were doing was like really cool and like you're making like progress like don't think down on it yeah but how could she not under the circumstances how could she not yeah no it's heartbreaking that like everything that I heard about her I'm like that's incredible that's so like iconic and visionary for the time and she just like you know took her own life feeling like she was alone and hadn't really done much and that's really sad that's really really sad she instructed her mother where to find $40 that she'd hidden in her trunk and to send out the book she'd addressed and left in her room to the public she asked that they preserve her little book on right marital living that had in part led to persecution by Comstock. She promised that a second, much longer book was waiting in a friend's hands to be published when society had shifted to allow such teachings to surface. I couldn't find that, by the way. Dear fellow citizens of America, for nine long years I have faced social ostracism, poverty, and the dangers of prosecution by Anthony Comstock. For your sakes... I had a beautiful gospel of right living in the marriage relation, which I wanted you to share with me. For your sakes, I have struggled along in the face of great odds. For your sakes, I have come at last to the place where I must lay down my life for you, either in prison or out of prison. 
Craddock's ideas actually had a second life, uh, but it wasn't her right marital living, actually, uh, that carried on, although here we are talking about it, but uh, it was her heavenly bridegroom that was republished by the psychoanalyst and lawyer Theodor Schroeder. Schroeder was fascinated by Craddock and a fan of her sexually revolutionary thought. Craddock's ideas seemed custom-made for Schroeder, who was also fascinated with the erotogenesis of religion, or the ways in which sex was an origin for religious thought. This was a pet theory of his. He was also, perhaps not coincidentally, concerned with defending so-called obscene literature, which he felt had been prosecuted in violation of the constitutional freedom of speech. Far from being obscene, Schroeder concluded that Craddock's work was a humanitarian effort, as Nicky and Jake are saying, to rescue young brides from the sexual ineptitude and even brutality of their new husbands. Let's just pause there for a second and think about that. Here's people who don't know too much about how sex goes, right? Both man and wife. This is not a culture Mm -hmm. where, I mean, in a Victorian age, and I also don't want to say, like, I don't want us to get the wrong impression that, you know, in the 60s, we figured out how to talk about sex, and it's just been fine ever since. It has been significantly (laughs) better, but the Victorian age was a unique period. If we go back before the Victorian age, there was not, there was a a unique cone of silence around sex for this hundred years that forced it into these, you know, cracks and crevices. So a man and a woman really were not too versed on how to do this or what was expected so brutality ineptitude inevitable so it really was i mean he's right it was a humanitarian effort but here's where schroeder draws the line as far as craddock's occultism he considered craddock's angelic lover to be a hallucination he, Schroeder made Craddock, who he called Ida C., as if she were a patient of his when he republished oh, Heavenly Bridegroom. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry, that's just such I a know. like stereotypical, like douchey, old-fashioned Move. male thing to do. We liked him up mm-hmm. to this point, right? But yes, he is not Let's so Let's just cold. sanitize this woman's idea real quick and make her crazy, and I'll take some credit. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, like Freud talked about all of his patients by their first name, often with an initial. So it's it's just... Yeah, placing her in that psychoanalytic paradigm. Um, so when he republished her book, he called her Ida C. And a primary focus of his writing about the erotogenesis of religion became this text. He came to believe that Craddock had two affairs with living men, but Craddock only ever spoke of her relationship with the heavenly bridegroom, Soph, and it was significant to her theology that she was a virgin before her marriage to the spirit. So Schroeder made this conclusion just based on reading her. He didn't have any... I don't think he had any proof. actual proof. Yeah, it's just wow. his psychoanalysis of her work. But <laughs> this woman sounds like she's had sex before with a living man, whore. But wait, one more character is going to enter the scene to rehabilitate Craddock's reputation. None other than Alistair Crowley. Oh boy! Hey, yeah. <laughs> so Schroeder, my psychoanalyst, reprints. Craddock and rehabilitates her reputation, I think, in many ways, but leaves this one point off. He calls her, you know, hallucinatory over this spirit husband. But here comes Alistair Crowley. Crowley came across the Heavenly Bridegroom as reprinted by Schroeder and offered a far more generous epitaph 
for our episode to close with. So this is the last word on Craddock for us today. Crowley, who was very much open to the reality of Craddock's spirit partner, said, and I'm quoting, I am very far from agreeing with all that this most talented woman sets forth in her paper, but she certainly obtained initiated knowledge of extraordinary depth. She seems to have had access to certain most concealed sanctuaries. I should personally be inclined to attribute her suicide rather to the vengeance of the guardians of those palaces than to any more obvious cause. She has put down statements in plain English which are positively staggering. This book is of incalculable value to every student of occult matters. No magic library is complete without it. Talk about a glowing review. Final thoughts, Nikki and Jake. Crowley gave his. Now it's your turn. Yeah, that was a glowing review. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He very much admired Craddock, or at least that particular book of hers. I admire her. She seems amazing. So, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) she seemed pretty cool. (laughs) Both of you, right? Members of the LGBTQ, etc. community. Is it all right to say etc.? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, can confirm. Okay. <laughs> tell, tell us, how do you think we could update some of Craddock to... Because she was radical. She was on the edge. I personally believe that if she were writing 60 years later, 70, 80 years later, she would incorporate a queer viewpoint into some of this. How, how do you think we could? I think it would just be a lot less... Uh, gender based on like instructions for women and for men in a relationship and more just about the uh, I don't know that's it really you just take oh, out yeah. the, simple. the genderification <laughs> of it all and Pretty simple. the advice is still good and useful that's that's about all I was going to say too it's once you take that away it's just like a connection and then just like Again, the whole, like, just sitting there, I can't get over the whole, like, just, like, sitting there and having intellectual, like, conversation with it. Like, that's a really cool idea. And, like, remove the gender and it's accessible for everyone. Two naked people talking about statuary. Yeah. And edging. <laughs> and edging. Yeah. And edging, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it can be as simple as that. In a way, she's so concerned with pregnancy. I think that distracts a little bit. I mean, Mm. Nikki, just your presence here while I'm talking about this makes me think of you and your girlfriend. Like, yeah, it's distracting. We are not accidentally getting pregnant anytime soon. But I don't see why these Um, practices couldn't be equally useful for you. Yeah. You take it. You're right. For the manifestation part of it, you take out the, the specific pregnancy and focus and that, that same connection and manifestation and release of energy is all putting in the time yeah everything like that is still very useful information it's just the the wording and the framing of it is of the time of the times and you know edging your orgasms right and and creating this as jake's saying the time creating this long Mm -hmm. quasi tantric experience of intimacy together that culminates in a one orgasm yeah that's what it sounds like i mean obviously the pregnancy like you were saying like that's a more like prominent part in like what she was teaching or conveying but like it seems like another major thing is just investing 
into the partner and actually like catering to their needs or like being aware of like their needs, like if they're in the moment or if they're not, and then just moving on from it and like just being more like attentive is what it seems like. Yeah. And and I, I think maybe I'm reading backwards through like, you know, 20th century sex magic, but it seems like being able to build to that, you know, the one orgasm, like a woman certainly can have many, but to build to the one and put all the emphasis and attention on the one as a moment of manifestation. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, Nikki, is, does this seem? Uh, that would definitely be, I feel like it'd definitely be easier for um, like same same sex, sex partners yeah yeah because yeah. it I, I don't know that just you seems the more same attainable than trying to have uh like typical penis and vagina sex and orgasm <laughs> at the same time Boo. that seems like really no. like that's really not gonna happen like I, it can but like not easily not often you know what i mean like it's that's why she's talking about how much work it is in the book. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like when work. you're with the same sex partner, it's like easier to do the building up to, to, yeah, to get off at the same time, which is, you know, not to say that everyone, because you're of the same sex has the same, you know, schedule or their equipment no. works the same way. And all <laughs> no, that. no, no, the no, same no desires, but yeah, no, all right. Well, I just think that, like, with a hetero, I'm not done with heterosexual <laughs> You don't have to learn as much uh, variety in your sex life, right? Like, you could have missionary sex your entire relationship if that's all either one of you knew, mm-hmm. had ever experienced, and there's when you're in a you know not heterosexual relationship, you have to find different ways you know what works for that person to spice it up you don't just assume right away my penis is going in your vagina and that's how we're doing this like right now missionary because it's not that easy so you have to talk with the person figure out you know what i mean it's more of a conversation more of a learning curve and you know more initial options i feel like yeah all all right that's like i mean even through experience like that stuff like it doesn't just happen like immediately you have to like make sure they're comfortable and like (laughs) they're in the moment like i said that's it's not just like a one in i don't like done type of thing it's like a it's more of like a don't hurt you have to make sure that like they're relaxed and i think that's like a message that at least like I was hearing from like what she was saying too. And heteros can too, friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's part of my lesson on that intro day. When I talk about it, the students, I say, you know, what is your goal? What goal do you bring to a sexual encounter? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll tell me all oh, you know, time or whatever, or my orgasm. And I said, your orgasm. Well, particularly if you're the the male partner in a heterosexual union friends whose part pleasure should we be focused on oh yeah (laughs) i guess you're right rob maybe the one that takes a little longer (laughs) now everyone wants to take my intro class okay let's (laughs) let's bring it on home which one of you wants to give us the old spiel to get out of here i think i can do it okay i hereby Adjourn and declare closed this meeting of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. 
That's exactly right. My name is Dr. Yes. Robert C. Thompson, your Supreme Hierophant, joined by Jake Wheatley, our Knight of the Dangling Serpent. Yes, your knight says start edging. <laughs> <laughs> of the Dangling Serpent, I am specifically qualified. You are an expert. Your name has never yeah. been more apt for, like, an ep- almost never been more apt for an episode. Like, right? <laughs> Anderson, our Naked Truth. Did your package ever arrive or whatever was being dropped off? It- did yes we're all good okay and nobody noticed what you were wearing no and uh we had uh evangeline olsen doing the voice of idocratic today and of course jake and nikki doing psyche and arrows beautifully for us next time it's a very sexy time sexy it was sexy sexy myth uh, next time on A Call Confessions, we are going to visit with our uh, old friend Eliphas Leve. I guess not our old friend, a friend we've never made before, uh, but one of these occult guys that we should have covered probably like three years ago, and we didn't, and I'm sorry, but you requested it, so here he comes, guys. It's time for French occultism. French 19th century occultism. I don't want to hear it. You asked for it. Here on A Call Confessions. <laughs> Get over it. Get over it. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>